Why Orlistat? Why Orlistat? I mean, because it was a... (laughs) So I asked Dr. Nadalski about it. He's taken it before. And uh, he thinks the side effects are a little bit overblown. And I do not mean (laughs) that as a pun. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Just can't even help yourselves. Hello, and welcome back to The Curbsiders. Hola! (laughs) The internal medicine podcast that uses expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice-changing knowledge. I'm Dr. Matthew Watto, here with my co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Brigham. Well, hello, Matthew. How are you doing today? Doing well. Great. And Dr. Paul Williams. Uh, Matthew, Stuart, great to be with you guys, as always. Paul, how's the family? The family of they're nice of cats. How are the how are the kids? <laughs> yes. How are the kids? Oh yeah, the, I forgot. Paul said he was going to pretend he is. Yes. <laughs> Paul, he's how, how are your yeah, how are your two no. sons? Oh, uh, that the potential be a killer bit. They're mediocre. <laughs> they're really I've neither filled with pride nor disappointment. They just they exist and occupy space in my home. <laughs> I feel really bad that I killed that bit. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> We're probably going to try to revive that sometime in the future. Okay. Yeah, we'll try it again. Maybe the audience will forget. We no, I'm sorry. I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Paul, Paul, how are the kids? <laughs> it's not going to work now. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's get to the a listener. In a <laughs> Let's get to a listener email. Hopefully you, you cut that out. Uh, sorry, sorry. I think. How did we pronounce this, Stuart? Well, you pronounce it sorry. Okay, it's probably so it's probably Sari. It's probably Sari. We received an email from Sari. She says, she, he? She. Okay. I think. Love your podcast. Oh, I think I'm much older than Matt, but I trained at the same place. Probably he. <laughs> started, hospital, started a hospitalist program uh, somewhere in Cape Cod and then moved to New Zealand. Was supposed to be there a year, but my family loved it so much, so we stayed. We live in a very isolated city, name of which I will omit. Long story short, I look for podcasts to keep me up to date. Great fun listening to you. I like t- I like taking your tips to teach the house surgeons here. Can you do shows on the following? Thyroid disease, bronchiectasis, pain management for inpatients geared towards house staff, inflammatory bowel disease, weird endocrine disorders. Huh. <laughs> funny you say that. Yeah. Funny. Really funny. We 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 did do a show recently on weird endocrine disorders. I think with, it was uh, best for you, actually, with Doctor Michael McDermott. Oh, I think Sari is a is a female. And and Sari, I think we'll get to the rest of these. And as always, sorry for mispronouncing. Sorry, Sari. I imagine I'm mispronouncing your name, but I, I I can't help it. I have terrible instinct. <laughs> I have terrible name instincts. If that's a thing, I thought you were going to say you have terrible. If history is any predictor. You are mispronounced. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new there. Nothing new at all. <laughs> Uh, so Matthew, ready for the pick, picks of the week? Yes, I am ready for the picks of the week. So Matthew, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week, I'd like to recommend a podcast that has nothing to do with medicine. Hmm. It is it is a delightful podcast. It is it is not explicit lyrics or language. Is it NPR? If that matters to you, it's not NPR. Okay. It is it is the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Rivals. Judge John Hodgman podcast. It is a. Can you say it ten times fast? He is a fake internet judge. Basically, to give you an example of a case, 
a a girl took her mom to court because her mom was working out at the same CrossFit gym and embarrassing her. So she brought her mom on Judge John Hodgman. And well, he decided he decided if the mom had to stop going to the same this CrossFit is, this gym. This is actually what, what's so sad is that this is actually not too far fetched. This is an it is not, and it's an amazing show. There was there was one where like. I think uh, they were fighting over like a fake Christmas tree versus real Christmas tree, like really important stuff that, and he settles these sure. cases and, and he's a great comedian and actor, et cetera. He's an author. So check it out. So Williams, what's your pick of the week? And we're still going with the Williams. Well, yes. Yeah. It's Williams. Yeah. No, that's, it I don't right know if that has legs, but no, yeah. Time, we'll also, it, it has legs. It's going to stick. <laughs> Pulliams, what's, what's your pick yeah. of the week? Pulliams and his two non-existent sons. <laughs> yeah, Hodgman, by the way, has a great uh, comedy special called Ragnarok that's worth watching, too. That won't be my pick, but it's, that's fantastic if you get the time. I'm going to go, uh, I think, with a book this week. Um, I'm going to go with the book Pilgrim at Tinker's Creek. Uh, I'm sorry, Tinker Creek, which is a book by Annie Dillard, written in 1974. Um, she's a poet and an essayist, and it's basically a book about seeing and sort of she just it's modeled a little bit after um, after Walden, I believe, uh, and she just sort of talks about observations that she's made about nature, but it's sort of um, more largely about spirituality and perception and about um, sort of the inherent cruelty uh, and beauty within nature. So it's beautifully written. Gosh, um, the sentences something you just kind of want to share with people if you if you like the English language. Um, so. It, Check it out, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Dillard. Love that poetic prose there, Paul. Poetic prose, Paul. <laughs> Stu- alliteration. Stuart, <laughs> uh, alliteration aside, did you have a pick of the week? For I the sure audience? do. So this is somewhat of a shout out to uh, uh, another podcaster, Ryan Gray. He recently published a book called The Pre-Med Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Interview. So uh, this, this is a book he's been working on for about the past couple of years and recently published uh, the June 6th. So just two days ago. So uh, interesting book uh, as far as uh, helping those who are interested in medical school to help to prepare for it, prepare for that interview, and kind of a, a roadmap to, to medical school. Take a look at it. I think it's a good pick. Thank you, Stuart. And huh, with that well, said... it's like the first time we said thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think that was generally helpful, which is uh, I, can't, I can't always say for... <laughs> You're saying I'm not helpful. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like you're working against me, Stuart, when I'm trying to just get a sentence out. But uh, I yeah, that was the point. That was, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe the audience likes it. <laughs> I, I do want to get on to the uh, topic here. We this, this is one of the interviews that I did while at ACE, unfortunately, without Paul and Stuart there. Mm-hmm. Yep. We did an episode on obesity with uh, Dr. Timothy Garvey back right. earlier this year. And a roundtable. And or, yes, on the rectangular table. On the rectangular table, and this this talk that Dr. Carl Nadalski gave was titled "The Safe Use of the New Obesity Medications." And I thought it had been a couple months. I still don't feel as comfortable as I'd like with all these. How many times have you used it since then? Since Garvey's I, episode, I've used it a couple times. I right. I, I want to get into that towards the end uh, when we come back after the interview here okay. and talk about how we're using them in our practice. I'm sorry to jump ahead. Of- that's okay. It's a teaser for the audience. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Now they might listen to the end. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I, I was just intrigued by the title of the talk. Dr. Carl Nadalski is a clinical endocrinologist at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. He's board certified in internal medicine, endocrinology, and obesity medicine. 
He, he developed and is the director of the Diabetes, Obesity, and Metabolic Institute at Walter Reed and is faculty for the Endocrinology Fellowship Program there. He's an assistant professor of medicine at the Uniformed Services University and currently serves as principal investigator for two active research protocols. Pretty soon, he will be separating from the military and joining Spectrum Health and the Michigan State University. And Dr. Nadalski was a co-author on the ACE 2016 Clinical Practice Guidelines for Obesity that was written with Dr. Garvey, and we are delighted to have him on the show here. I talked to him for probably 30 or 40 minutes, pretty in-depth on all the obesity medications. Hopefully after listening to this, you'll feel a lot more comfortable using them like I now do. Welcome back to the Curbsiders. I'm here with Dr. Carl Nadalski. He is a member of ACE, and we are at the ACE conference. I always start the show off by asking if you had to describe yourself in a, as a, a one-liner, the way we do in the hospital. So I'll give you an example. I'm a 34-year-old uh, husband, father of four. I'm an internal medicine nerd, podcaster. I have weird eating habits, and I love bad movies. How, how would you describe okay. yourself right. to put you on the spot? Okay, totally. I'll, I'll try to follow your, your lead. Um, so I'm a 37-year-old um, father of two. Um, I was definitely uh, a nerd slash jock uh, my whole life. I um, played football, wrestled in college at Michigan State. Um, my summer sport is sailing, and I still like to sail, and I still like to work out, and I'm definitely an endocrine nerd for sure. And and I I have to say because we're we're talking about obesity and everything the uh, I, I looked your your Twitter feed your website the the you guys should check him out on there he is uh, very impressive definitely oh, he what's your website called is it it's, Doctors it, Who Lift Docs Who Lift yeah so um and yeah and, and like I said I'd, I'd like to work more on on the internet stuff what I'd like to do is is feature other doctors who are practicing what they preach and you don't have to be jacked. Um, weightlifters that you've been doing it forever anything any doctors who exercise and, and get their patients to exercise and can tell a little just a little story a little biography um, I'd like to do that and feature other guys just just to promote it just to promote uh, exercise as medicine and um, yeah and the yeah and the Facebook thing is uh, you know Dr. Carl Nadelski on Facebook but you know it's just kind of for patients it's if anything it's a support group the more support we give to our patients uh, the better well, definitely, I, I probably need to hit the gym a little <laughs> more after looking at, at your website. Uh, so that was impressive. I'll say uh, another question that we always like to ask is, what is the most helpful tip you've had either as a learner or as an educator, or you can give us both if you if something comes to mind? So what people have told me? Yeah, what's something people have tip? told you that was just like a helpful tip, maybe some advice or criticism or something that stuck with you that, that has kind of helped shape, shape who you are as a physician? Well, I... You know, really, it's it might be more of this whole the whole concept of obesity as a de- disease. Because as an athlete and someone who always ate well, and you know, I am lucky to have good genetics. I appreciate my parents. Um, I'm sure I was one of them years ago who said, "Oh, come on, you know, we just got to eat better and exercise, eat less and move more." Right? That's what everyone says. Um, and it's more complicated than that. And and uh, I I think there were several mentors. It within you know endocrinology and obesity medicine years ago when I became interested in it, um, who really shifted my understanding and appreciation of the complexity of it. Um, so I can't pinpoint any one specific piece of advice. 
but I think in general, uh, embrace the complexity, act with simplicity. Now, that is from a specific mentor at, at Walter Reed. Dr. Pangaro told me that. But I think it applies really well to understanding obesity. And, um, and it definitely changed my outlook on it. I still am all about preaching diet and exercise. Um, but I'm also very supportive of our other tools to help patients do that stuff. Because it is uh, harder than we th- think when doctors say, just eat less, move more. That doesn't work. You gave a talk yesterday. Can you tell us what the title of that was and just a little bit of maybe two or three sentences summarizing? So I was part of a pre-Congress session yesterday talking about obesity medicine in 2017. And um, my assignment was going over the new pharmacotherapies for obesity, for the chronic use of obesity. Um, And so it was titled The Safe Use of the New Obesity Medications, but I gave it a subtitle of um, something about um, individualized therapy because that's what it's all about. And. I'm I'm so glad that was your topic because I am still uncomfortable with these new agents. I know the audience is too because I always project however I feel on the audience, so I assume they have the same feelings mm-hmm. as me, and uh, they know that. Um, but I want to ask, let's go to the very beginning of this. When you are starting to talk to a patient about their weight, mm-hmm. how do you approach that subject and what's kind of your, your short spiel? So traditionally um, in obesity medicine, pretty much all the educators will say that uh, you know, you should ask permission, say, you know, I'd, I'd like to, uh, would you mind if we talked about your weight as part of your uh, medical condition? Um, I, I'm not as maybe uh, conservative as that, to be honest. Um, I think most people actually kind of know. And so when I talk to them, I, I, I guess I kind of ask their permission, mm-hmm. but I say, um, I, I, I bring it up in a way of almost education where I say, you know, this is uh, not only a risk, um, but it's it's part of the underlying uh, pathophysiology of what's going on, say diabetes, and, and and I just I teach them about why it's hard. Um, I go over their weight history so they kind of know where we're going, and um, and I and I just treat them like a medical student or a, or a resident or a fellow. You know, try to simplify it, but I talk about the brain working against them. I talk about some of the pathophysiology about why appetite goes up when they try to work harder on their diet, uh, their energy intake, and metabolism doesn't help, and genetics, and I, and I kind of just go over why it's a problem, and uh, and that's something we need to address. Definitely focused on lifestyle therapy, but that we do have other tools so they feel a little bit more empowered, and I, and I feel like I have pretty good success with that. So instead of just totally just asking their permission. I kind of ask their permission, but really get into educating them in almost in a little advanced way so they know that I'm with them and I'm trying to really help uh, their struggles. And you mentioned some of the changes in the brain. Can you talk about just so because like our listeners, what will be helpful is like if we can hear a little bit, maybe a little example of what you're teaching sure. would be to a patient. So that way we can maybe emulate yeah. you when yeah. we're teaching patients. So um, so the details of it are that the appetite and metabolism is regulated by the hypothalamus. Mm-hmm. So I basically just say so your appetite and uh, and metabolism is controlled by an area in your brain, uh, specifically the hypothalamus. But I usually just say an area in your brain to the patients and. I say it's uh, it gets communication from hormones from your fat cells that try to tell your brain about your energy balance. That's leptin um, and others. Uh, and, and your intestines have hormones that talk to your brain about appetite metabolism. That would be, say, like GLP-1 and uh, PYY and um, CCK and all those that are in the intestines. And your stomach sends hunger signals to your brain. That's the ghrelin. Um, and, and then I talk about the reward system. And I say, you know, that... 
you can't stop eating a, a donut when somebody gives you a donut, but you would normally wouldn't do it. That's that the reward system, that dopamine hedonic reward system. That's in other parts of your brain that drive f- food behavior. And, and so I just kind of say that in a simplified, but yet f- relatively scientific way. So they know that that's not necessarily their fault. A lot of them know the lifestyle things that they need to do. And obviously we emphasize those, but um, they feel a little bit more empowered when they hear that uh, little underlying physiology. Where do you start with your, with your approach to, to treatment? Where do you first, how, how do you decide what you're going to start with? Mm-hmm. Well, so um, I always do a, a lifestyle history with the patient. So I do a weight history. I see what they're doing for their exercise activity, if they're doing anything, physical activity, um, and what their uh, behavior is when they're not exercising. So most of them are sedentary. I mean, look at us right now. We're sitting, and this is a huge problem. Um, and, and they all know it. So when I ask it, they know it, and I, I kind of smile at them. I say, look, I already had sedentary there because we all are. And I just say the exact same thing. I'm like, look at us. We're, right now we're sitting, so we got to work on that. Um, and then I, and I do a diet history. And I, um, it would be great if we had you know, a comprehensive system where a nutritionist get, gets into real detail and they do a three-day diet log and all these things. But I try to get at least the basics, and I do almost like a kind of an average 24-hour recall. I say, well, you know, give me an average breakfast, lunch, dinner. What are your average snacks? Do you drink soda juice or any sugary beverages, sweet tea like that? How often do you go out to eat? Um, and so I get an idea of what their dietary baseline is from there. And, and that usually sets me up for, okay, these are some areas that we can work on. And I teach them about, well, for obesity specifically, we have to somehow change the energy balance. The equation sounds simple and it is kind of simple but the complexities are on either side of it so we care about food quality as far as cardiometabolic health and all that stuff Um, but it's the appetite metabolism changes that are working against us in the brain and uh, influenced by genetics and environment and injuries and menopause and uh, maybe viruses um, you know all sorts of things uh, epigenetics you know and and even though some of those things might be a little over their head they it empowers them to say okay all right let's let's what are we going to do how are we going to change this energy balance uh, in in my favor well i want to go through maybe a case and maybe if, if you can think of a so you can de-identify it for hipaa purposes but maybe give us a case of of, of a patient that maybe was challenging but that you were ultimately successful and kind of walk us through like what therapies you were able sure. to use for this person um so i have a, a, one of my superstar patients because he's so appreciative of this uh, we in this specialty you get a lot of this though um if you do it right and you're passionate and supportive of the patients but i had a patient he's a physician and he, he came and uh, he has type 2 diabetes. His BMI was maybe 39 or something like that. And he came to me to, to get bariatric surgery to help his diabetes, uh, which is not unreasonable. In fact, absolutely indicated. Um, and he said he had, you know, he's smart. He knows what to do. He had lost weight on some low-carb diets in the past, lost 25 pounds. He'd get really excited, and it would always come back. He'd done it a few times, and it was just fed up, frustrated. And I said, well, hold on. Before we do bariatric surgery, I said, that's totally reasonable. But let's, you know, let's let's reevaluate the lifestyle stuff. You've obviously done a good job with it. We just need to help you. And I, I taught him, even though he's a doctor, so he really can understand this stuff a little bit more. But I, I went through the same thing. I said it just like a patient. You know, the brain's working against you. You're absolutely appetite went up. It wants, it's fighting you. It wants you to stay at that weight we don't want you at. And I said, so let's go through these medications. So the new medications that we have for chronic uh, treatment of obesity are, um, Orlistat's been around for a while, and that's just a, um, a lipase inhibitor. So you 
So you excrete uh, some of the, you know, about 30% of the fat. Um, I joked around a little bit about the side effects with my crowd yesterday. They all appreciated that because I say patients really like to hear about steatorrhea and, and, uh, and discharge with flatulence. Sure. Um, but, uh, but then the other medications really work on that appetite center. And so liraglutide is a GLP-1 agonist, and it's at 3 milligrams for, af- for, for weight loss, approved uh, for weight loss. And it works up in those GLP-1 uh, receptors up in the brain, up in the hypothalamus, to help uh, mitigate that appetite increase to help adhere to a diet. Uh, phenamine has been around for a long time, and in combination with topiramate extended release, it's approved for long-term use. And it does a very good job of um, working up in that palm C, that arcuate nucleus, and, and the topiramate may work in some other... Uh, ways that are a little bit of a mystery wrapped in a riddle right now, but it, it seems to kind of work on some of those negative feedback mechanisms up there. Um, the combination of naltrexone and bupropion. So bupropion uh, as a do- dopamine norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor also works on that palm C. The naltrexone is an opioid antagonist, and it blocks some of the negative feedback of the beta endorphins from that palm C firing off the alpha melanocyte stimulating hormone. Again, this is complicated. Might going up, to, yeah, yeah, we might so need that's, that's going that. up to going up to second order neurons, but basically synergistically helping appetite. So b- bottom line is we're still working at that appetite. The, the bupropion-naltrexone combination also seems to have a good effect on that dopamine reward center, which is dysfunctional in obesity. And then the other medication is lorcaserin, which is a, a very, very specific serotonin agonist. So you, earlier you mentioned the concerns of cardiovascular issues. Uh, fenfluramine, once upon a time, was a serotonin agonist working up in the arcuate nucleus, but unfortunately also working on the heart valves and pulmonary hypertension. So this one's very specific for up in that arcuate nucleus uh, uh, works on appetite. And these medications help, base, I tell patients that they just help you adhere to the dietary changes so that you can do it because of the biology working against them. So with this patient in, in particular, we um, he had no contraindications um, for any of them that I remember. And uh, we went with the phenamine-topiramate uh, combination. And he, none of these are magic bullets, right? So nothing's a magic bullet. It's all about supporting the lifestyle therapy and, and helping the patients optimize themselves. But he came back and he thought it was a magic bullet. <laughs> he, he just thought, he's like, wow, nobody ever listened to me before. Um, I can't believe this must be what it's like to, to be like a normal person and not be always hungry every time I try to cut some calories. And he just kept losing weight. He never even, I, I tried to always prescribe an, a nice exercise routine for him. He never got into an exercise routine, but his non-exercise activity, his walking around, his taking stairs, just kept going up and up and up, almost in a linear fashion compared to his weight loss. And he's, I mean, he basically has put his diabetes into remission. Um, He's not on any insulin. He's lost... Oh boy, he's lost like nearly 30% of his weight, which is like bariatric surgery type weight loss. And he just feels great. He's just so happy, so appreciative. Um, So he's one of, definitely one of my superstars, but uh, that's not an unsimilar story to others. For that specific medication, the fentermine topiramate, Mm -hmm. when you're going to put someone on that, uh, 30% is a lot. I think most patients more closer to the 10 to 15% range. Yeah. So, so all these, uh, Medications have been studied, of course, uh, randomized placebo-controlled trials. Um, this one, uh, there are no, no real good head-to-head trials 
first of all. Um, but phenamine topiramate has the highest average placebo subtracted weight loss kind of across the board. And that's eight to nine percent, depending on how you look at it. You have to look at completer analyses, um, meaning a lot of patients drop out of these trials because they're weight loss trials. Um, patients in the placebo arms will drop out because uh, they didn't have great success. Um, sometimes with the medications, there's a little bit more dropout from side effects. Um, and for this one, what side effects are the, so, the big uh, ones? So the common side effects are uh, dry mouth. That's the one I hear about most from my patients, and that certainly is in the studies. Uh, some paresthesias uh, of the fingers, that's from the topiramate. I hear a, a little bit of that. Um, you can get uh, some heart racing, but I don't hear much of that. Uh, some headaches, I don't really hear much of that. Uh, you can get kidney stones, so that's one issue. Um, definitely contraindicated in hyperthyroidism and pregnancy, by the way, just to get that on the table because that's a big deal. And the um, kidney stones is the topiramate portion of it? Yep, yep. Yep. It, how about concerns for high blood pressure patients on the phentermine? So not so interestingly traditionally there are some data that suggest phentermine by itself now you know phentermine at the, those higher doses may be an issue but with this medication it's a lower dose fewer side effects which is why the combination is nice also fewer side effects from the topiramate which gives you all those things at higher doses too. And so the blood pressure you know there's some data that suggests blood pressure may go up a little bit with phentermine but with the topiramate it it goes down. Um, as we would want. And, and that may be due to some other things with topiramate that, that seem to help with, with blood pressure. But overall, this works very well on appetite. And, and in the studies, the blood pressure does go in the right direction and, and goes down. And, and, and patients get off their blood pressure meds too, which is nice. And what did, what did it look like, the visits? So you start someone on this, what dose? How, how long do you wait to follow up? And, and what's the max? Where, where did you max out? So the dosing for phenamine topiramate is uh, you start with a low dose to see if they tolerate it, basically. It's 3.75 uh, slash 23 milligrams. They do that for two weeks. It's once a day. And then they go up to 7.5, 46 milligrams. So 7.5 of the phenamine, 46 milligrams of the topiramate. And they take that once a day. And, um, and then after 12 weeks on the, on, on the regular dose, you see if they've had an, a response to therapy. And this is, this is a key for all of these medications is this early response to therapy. The FDA labeling for phenamine topiramate is 3% at 12 weeks. If they met that, then you keep going with it. And uh, I can tell you, if they, they're going to probably get more than that. It's going to be more like five if they, if they respond to it or more. Um, if they don't, then there is another intermediate dose you do for two weeks. And then there is a max dose of 15 slash 92. The other option is to just try something different. I very rarely go up to that high dose. I think I have maybe one or two patients on that high dose. Um, most people really do respond to the, to the low dose of phenamine topiramate. And you get, a, you get a kidney panel about a month later to look for. You can get a non-gap acidosis, which is not that big of a deal, but you want to be aware of it. You want to make sure you're not drying out. You, know, you can get some uh, creatinine changes. You want to make sure you're not doing that. Uh, low potassium, something you want to look for, especially if they're on something like HCTZ or something. So, Well, let's say that with this gentleman, let's just pretend he wasn't a superstar on that first medication. And let's say you went to uh, the other bupropion naltrexone. What would that What would that look like? What are the contraindications, and how might you ramp that one up? So naltrexone bupropion. Um, so its contraindications include uncontrolled hypertension because in its studies the blood pressure didn't do as well as what we would hope for, with weight loss. It didn't do as well as the placebo group. And I, I just an aside. I so when the, there was a New England Journal article that came out relatively recently, kind of reviewing all these agents, and I thought it was like a misprint that it said naltrexone bupropion. Uh, 
high uncontrolled hypertension. I, I was nope. like, that should be with fentermine. So nope. Nope. you've answered yep. my question. Right. Okay. Good. Good. Um, yeah. It uh, blood pressure in those studies went up a hint in the beginning. Um, and then kind of normalized, maybe went to hint in the right direction, but still was higher than the placebo groups. Um, now, the patients who actually responded very well and lost more weight, they, they tended to go in the right direction. Um, but nevertheless, it's un, uh, contraindicated with uncontrolled hypertension. Uh, for now, essentially contraindicated. Uh, they have you know cardiovascular disease. We can talk a little bit more about the outcomes trials that it, that it had. Um, seizure disorder because of bupropion can lower the seizure threshold. Uh, you can't be on any opioids because naltrexone is an opioid antagonist. Um, anorexia, bulimia, and that really is due more to the the seizure issue. But you wouldn't um, probably be giving these meds to, to them anyways. Um, that's basically those are the, those are the major uh, contraindications. Um, nausea is its biggest uh, kind of barrier, the biggest adverse effect. Um, and then there are, there are some dosing changes based on, you know, kidneys and, and hepatic stuff. But it's dosing. Uh, so it comes in these 8 slash 90 milligram tablets. And you basically have to titrate up over five weeks to get to two tabs twice a day. So you start with one tab a day and you have to titrate up to two tabs twice a day, which is actually kind of a barrier, to be honest. It's kind of a pain in the butt, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but they, the, the company that, that sells it, they actually... Um, just came out with a uh, little assistance for writing it. So it's not as painful, <laughs> right? Uh, little, little stickers that you can put on the prescription pads. Um, this sounds kind of like how I titrate metformin. I give someone 500 and I say sure. every week or two go yeah, up by, yeah, you know, yeah. And that, and yeah. And then, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll end up talking about liraglutide, which is a similar thing. Okay. Um, but with this, you know, it's pills. So it's two pills twice a day. Um, and at 16 weeks or 12 weeks on the high dose, again, we're looking for that 5% early response to therapy. And there are data to support this. The people who achieve that f- early response, 5% weight loss in, in 12 weeks on the main dose, they tend to do a lot better than that average weight loss that's, that's in the trials of about 5 to 6% placebo subtracted. We're talking more like 12% across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned... Let's say that the, our patients on chronic opiates because of knee pain, so we're, we're moving on to liraglutide. Yep. Um, my, a question that I've had about this, uh, exenatide, the long-acting, it's once weekly, or, uh, or if you can't get the, the three-milligram liraglutide mm-hmm. covered, what about using the lower-dose liraglutide and, or, or just any of the other uh, GLP-1 sure. agents? Um, are we allowed to talk off-label? Because that's what we're getting into then. Okay. So, um, yeah, off-label. Yeah, sure. I, so, you, can... so, you know, liraglutide at three milligrams is approved for obesity, for sure. chronic obesity treatment. The other ones are not. They're approved for diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Right. Certainly, they're the, they should be considered, if you're not going to use liraglutide at three milligrams for patients with diabetes, we want to be, um, you know, when we use diabetes meds, we want to help with their weight. As opposed to, you know, if we can help it, sulfonylureas and, and insulin, which kind of, you know, work against them with the weight. And, you know, maybe there's some other issues with those twos. And, and, and we think we have some good outcomes with the, the GLP-1 agonist. Um, so, you know, coming out fairly soon is uh, semaglutide, also from Novo Nordisk. Um, had a cardiovascular outcomes trial that was reassuring, not quite as good as the liraglutide data, but, but good. Um, and uh, has very good weight loss, even at the diabetes dose. I think they're going to study it for weight loss um, by itself. Um, so that that's something to look forward to. But for the current GLP agonists, if we were going to do this off-label or just even for the patients with type 2 diabetes, uh, dulaglutide has pretty good weight loss. Um, exenatide twice a day actually is a little bit better than the, than the long-acting uh, or the w- weekly exenatide, but it's still not bad. 
um, alboglutide and lixazenatide have a little bit weaker weight loss. Um, and, and certainly liraglutide still is kind of the best overall. So even at a type 2 diabetes dose of a 1.8, um, it's very reasonable to use. Mm-hmm. And that works, Does you, you mentioned earlier that works on the brain. I, I thought it also slowed gastric mm-hmm. emptying yeah. a little bit. Is yeah, that- so, so the, the overall general effects of the the incretins is the incretin mm-hmm. effect, so the GLP agonist. So it slows down gastric emptying, um, you know, prevents the glucagon from releasing sugar from the liver, um, and improves the pancreatic function, essentially. So in a glucose-dependent manner, it improves uh, beta cell function. And so that's kind of the incretin effect, the insulin secretion effect, but it also has the GLP receptors up in that arcuate nucleus to help with the appetite. Um, and to enable patients to improve their diet, basically. What, what do we have to look out for as contraindications for these agents? Were you speaking to GLP? I mean the GLP-1s, just, talking about GLP. just okay. the GLP-1s. Yeah. So, so um, you know, with liraglutide specifically, but it's pretty much all the same. You know, basic con- contraindications are if they've had, like, sensitivities to it and, and stuff like that before. It's still contraindicated if there's a family history or personal history of MEN2 or medullary thyroid cancer, and that's really because of rat studies. That hasn't panned out in humans, but I still tell patients about it. Um, there's, of course, the concern of pancreatitis. Um, that really does not pan out in the studies. Um, in, at the three milligram dose in these big trials, there's like this itty bitty little um, absolute risk, maybe. Um, the relative risk is something, but it's like 0.1 to 0.4 in the big scale uh, trial. Um, and in the leader trial, which was 1.8 milligrams, the, the liraglutide cardiovascular outcomes trial, there was no increased risk of pancreatitis. Now, some of this is also due to, to gallstones. So there is an increased risk of gallstones and cholecystitis. Um, which happened with weight loss anyways, and a little bit more risk uh, with liraglutide than even with placebo with the weight loss. And, and for that medication, it's just one dose. You don't have to titrate up. Do you have to? Do you have that exit ramp at 12 weeks like the other one? Yes. So with liraglutide, you do titrate up, um, just like you would with the diabetes dose. You start with 0.6 milligrams subcutaneously a day, and the trials do it every week. But you know, as tolerated, I tell patients they don't have to do it in a month, um, and they go up to 1.2, then 1.8, then 2.4, and then ultimately 3 milligrams subcutaneous daily. And then at 16 weeks, we're looking for 4% early response to therapy. And again, this has been substantiated by data when they look back at those trials. The patients who got that 4% weight loss, um, they did very well. And by the way, even the placebo groups, when they get that, they do a lot better than the non-responders. That So early success predicts weight loss in almost any intervention we do. So people who are afraid of losing weight fast don't early intensive intervention helping the patients lose weight if they respond to it that's what's going to be to help them and so yeah that's the that's the exit strategy for liraglutide and uh, this early response to therapy um, like i said it's naltrexone and bupropion lorcasserin which is very important because the lorcasserin data is, is much more modest for the um, amount of weight loss but the people who respond to it five percent at 12 weeks for that one they do very well too more like an average of like 10 percent weight loss compared to not much for the non-responders in the placebo um, and, and of course the idea is that more people do respond to it than placebo. But like I said, the people in placebo who respond well do well too. So that's good. So early response to therapy is key. I, I want to ask uh, quickly about Orlistat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was talking to you in pre-recording about a friend, uh, Jeff Colburn, who's an endocrinologist. We've had him on the show a bunch of times. He was telling me he actually does use Orlistat. He just tells patients, if you're if you're having your cheat day, mm-hmm. don't take it with that meal <laughs> yeah. because you're right. going to have the, the, the GI side effects that everyone right. is aware of. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to be honest... I, 
you know, as long as they know it's coming, that's, I would almost encourage them to continue it to help mitigate the effects of that cheat day. But they just need to, they just need, right, well, yeah, I mean, they just need to know. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, have you ever taken? I have it. I I have. And and in fact, um, maybe I should, you you may or may not want to put this on, but I, and I joked with the the audience yesterday. I'm like, oh, I can't be the only one who takes a a PRN or a when I go out to eat. Right. (laughs) Um, so, uh, you know, so yeah, I've, I I do that once in a while, and that may be more of a mental thing for me. But um, and it's not it's not that bad. It's almost okay. more you know. Um, Interesting. I think uh, but, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw this out to my fellow curbsiders to take the Orlistat challenge. Yeah, uh, then yeah, we'll go get yeah. some so, hot wings because everyone should know what happens. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, we do want to you know encourage a lower fat diet so they don't have all those um, side effects. So you wouldn't want to do like a low carb, high fat Atkins sort of thing. That would not bode well for the patients. Just anecdotally speaking, uh, I, I believe that the the clinical trials data suggests like around a four percent weight loss with that maximum. But what what are you seeing for, for Orlistat? Is, well, that's I, that's more like the average. So that's so not average. maximum. So okay, even with medications, just like any intervention, there's a lot of heterogeneity, a lot of sure. different responses. Some people do very well, like the patient I talked about earlier. Some people do, you know, okay, which maybe is still a good response. Five percent is is very meaningful weight loss. Remember for diabetes and, and diabetes prevention. Right. But then some people don't respond, and they're the ones that shouldn't stay on whatever the intervention is and find a different way. So then okay. we're not wasting money, risking you know risk versus benefit ratios and things like that. Um, but Orlistat, you know, I don't have that much success with it uh, because really most people's issue is that appetite. They can adhere to a, an improved diet with some of these other meds, um, but it does have good data. Uh, it really does. So yeah, about a 4% average, which means some people are doing a lot better than that. It has diabetes prevention data, um, you know, 45% reduction in the Zen, in the big four year Zendos trial. I talked about that yesterday, uh, for the people who had impaired glucose tolerance. Um, and, uh, and a meta-analysis showed that in patients with diabetes had about a 0.6% A1C reduction. And remember that's on top of metformin and other things. And all the obesity medications have about that. Liraglutide has the best, has about a 1% more than, more than placebo. So all these are more than placebo. Um, Phenamine topiramate 0.4, probably a little bit better, uh, you know, because in that study they, they got off their, some of their medications. Lorcasrin does very well for A1C reduction. It may be even beyond just the weight loss because even the non-responders have good A1C reduction. Um, and then uh, naltrexone bupropion about a half percent more than placebo. How, how are you handling the cost of these agents? And uh, whether you're civilian or you're, you're practicing at Walter Reed, so that's a little bit of a different situation. Yep. But uh, how are you handling the cost? And then what's the end game with these agents? Are people on them for the rest of their life? Right. Is it a two year? Is it? Yep. Can you speak to so, that? So, um, <clears throat> so the cost issue—that's just something that we're all trying to advocate for. All these organizations. Um, you know, political action committees, all these things, because we really, you know, there is a bill in Congress that should should help out with that. It's the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act. Um, but it's an issue. And so for now, uh, in my system, the patients essentially have to pay cash. Um, you know, we can get liraglutide at the diabetes dose. Um, for what that's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there, there are some other off-label things we can do with some of these combinations to help patients out, but otherwise they're paying cash for it right now. Um, the, all the medications do have coupons uh, for patients who, you know, there are some restrictions to them, but if their insurance doesn't cover and they're paying cash or things like that, they can, they're, they're not completely unreasonable costs other than for the liraglutide three milligrams is pretty expensive if it's not covered. Um, and it's, yeah. What about, yeah. So can you just give an example? Just so let's say I was going to start someone on the fentermine mm-hmm. to pyramid and they're going to get a coupon. Yep. 
what what it, what could they expect to pay per month and how long are they going to have to pay that right so if they're paying cash and they get the coupon it's um, ranges from about a hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars a month um, all these medications are approved for chronic use because obesity is a chronic disease and like I said the you know, the biology is working against them. That doesn't mean they can't get off of them. Uh, there are certain behaviors that have been shown to help maintain weight, but um, weight maintenance after weight loss is very hard because of the, the biology driving it back up. Um, so exercise above and beyond what helped them get down to weight is important. Finding a way to stick to the same diet that got them down, maybe using meal replacements. Um, but, uh, but medications, all these have been studied two, three years out now. And uh, that's why, because it's a chronic disease. And, and so I tell them that up front. I'm like, it's a chronic disease. This is theoretically a medication forever in theory, just like metformin, just like blood pressure meds, unless we get you off of them because you do so well with your lifestyle intervention, of course. Um, and there, in the future, there may be some other maintenance strategies, you know, yeah. maybe off-label stuff, maybe, you know, in the case of fentermine topiramate, I, you know, I, I'm interested in, well, what can they just maintain on the topiramate part or something like that? Um, but uh, yeah, that's a, it's and, a chronic disease, chronic uh, indication. Um, and that's and, hard for me to wrap my head around because $150 a month, for the rest of your life, you know, and, and, and you're going to be probably taking some other meds at some point. Yeah. So that's just, I think that's hard. That's going to be hard yep. for people to maintain. Yep. Um, so, so hopefully, you know, this is, this gets into systems, yeah. politics, stuff that, right. uh, you know, is tough for me, but, um, you know, we got to encourage, uh, the coverage of these. Cause if we're treating the underlying cause of all these diabetes or the uh, obesity complications, which is what we really care about, you know, it's really what's on the inside that counts. So I don't care what your BMI is. I care if you have type two diabetes mm -hmm. or if you have prediabetes and we can prevent it or you have yeah. severe sleep apnea um, this is how we stage it this is kind of we're kind of circling back to diagnosis but you know we stage it zero one or zero one or two based on the complications so um, and that's what we really care about um, so they might be able to get off other meds and you know things like that but um, I was going to say the other thing with the chronic therapy is that um, at least a few of the meds have um, shown continued weight after stopping after the trial is over and they all start to go back to their to the placebo they all does start, that make okay. sense so the weight the weight kind of changes back to on average so if you look at the graphs say there was a there was a two-year extension of the lorcasrin study it was one year and then completers were able to go two years and they took the lorcasrin group and they re-randomized them to placebo or continuing the lorcasrin the lorcasrin group continued to maintain pretty well there was some trend up but again that this wasn't differentiating responders and non-responders at that point but the ones who got uh switched back to placebo the graph just shows it going right up to where the other placebo line was it's so depressing. And, yeah, and, and that's right. Because it's like, we're, you know, you're, you're, the patient's spending yeah. all this money, you're, yeah. you're do, taking all this time and this risk but, of the medications, right. and then they, when they stop it, they go back. So. Right. But that's why, that's why I guess they're that's what would for chronic use. Yeah. And, that's, and, you know, in patients, it's worth it to them. If, if yeah. they respond, because remember, then those, they're going to have even better weight loss than what the trials show if sure. they're responders. And, uh, and they... It's worth it to them, I mean, especially if they're getting off their other meds, yeah. which a lot of them do. And I'm still falling into my old trap of, of thinking of this, like, this is like diabetes, this is like hypertension. Yep. Those patients are on meds for the rest right, of their life. Right, right. So. Ex exactly the okay. same. And, and, and remember, this is the underlying cause of those, for the most part. And so we want to, we're treating it right. with lifestyle and, and enabling that with, with medicine. And last question for you, if you had to give the audience maybe two or three take-home points, uh, what would that be from based on today's talk? 
So um, I'll give you kind of the take-home points, I think, from my talk yesterday on, on obesity pharmacology. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would suggest to everyone to look at our ACE obesity guidelines and really the illustrated algorithm that goes with it because the guidelines are pretty hefty. But just look at the illustrated algorithm. That's what, that's what it's meant for. Um, so we want to individualize our approach, uh, approach to initiating pharmacotherapy. So not everyone who has the FDA indication should just get pharmacotherapy, right? Um, you know, have they struggled to lose weight with good lifestyle? Um, have they regained their weight after weight loss? Or do they have a more severe form of the disease like type 2 diabetes that we need to really consider more intensive intervention right up front as part of the foundation of their treatment? So that's one, personalize when to start the therapy. Um, I would say, you know, Again, use this illustrated algorithm to just know the basics of the mechanisms of action, a little bit of the efficacy results of each of those new medications, because they are very different, um, uh, different mechanisms, despite being the same FDA indication. Um, so just know a little bit about those contraindications, safety things to monitor, um, and, and use the reference. Don't try to memorize it. You don't have to do that. Um, we have the reference there to have in your office. That's the whole point of that and those slides. And then, uh, and then thirdly is using that information and again, our slides that we have to help personalize what treatment you're going to use for patients. So everything has to be individualized, you know, their exercise plan, their diet plan and the pharmacology and maybe surgical interventions for this specific topic. So um, work really hard on, it's not just a cookie cutter approach. We have to personalize um, the therapy in every aspect. Awesome. Well, thank you. I know, uh, I know we're out of time here. That was great. Uh, I hope you had fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And we're back. Hi. Wait, no, can you do that again? <laughs> and we're back. Okay. We're back. We're back. We're back. Hi. I, I, I wanted to do this episode, Stuart. So you, you brought this up, you, you brought this up in the intro, but I, mm -hmm. I wanted to do this episode because I have started to use the medications a little bit. Which ones? I, I used the naltrexone bupropion agent yeah. uh, in one patient. Can, can we say the trade name? The trade name for that would be Contrave. Yeah, Contrave. It's, which is Contrave. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either, but I think uh, it's, 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 easy, it's easier, to, easier to remember the, uh, the name right. brand. Contrave, which is bupropion naltrexone. Right. The patient took it for about a week and developed side effects oh. stopped and discontinued it well you're, you're welcome whoever makes contrave i have used or orlistat on several patients was and that, haven't seen successful? them yet haven't seen them yet in follow-ups this was because you know this was since uh since april april may time frame yeah. when i was when i was doing this so i i, I really why orlistat why orlistat i mean because like it was torture. a <laughs> So we talked about this with Dr. Nadalski, and you know I think that it is a, I think it's worth a shot for certain patients. Okay, and uh, no pun intended. If they're not gonna, if if they're not gonna, if they feel that they can't spend the, the higher cost for the other agents like Contrave and uh, what's the other, what's the trade name for the fentermine topiramate? Cusimia. Cusimia. Yes. So if they if those out of pocket costs or if the side effects are too bad, then they can try the Orlistat. And I, as as I said to Doctor Nadalski, I was going to challenge you and Paul to try Orlistat yourselves. No. Uh, <laughs> what, what were those one chips that had the uh, was it the there was a, a weird chip brand? Yeah. What was yeah. it called? Oh dear, I, I can't. I can't I remember the name of the chips, but they had Orlistra. Yeah, Orlistra. Yeah, and and it, they had to put on the bag that uh, may cause anal leakage. Yes. Yes. That is that is the big fear with Orlistat. Well, I think it's a known side effect. 
It, it no, it is. Yeah, it is a side effect. Steatorrhea and anal, anal leakage is a known right. side effect. So I asked Doctor Nadalski about it. He says that he's take. He's like a competitive weight, uh, like bodybuilder type, and he okay. said he's he's taken it before, Good and on him. Uh, he thinks the side effects are a little bit overblown. And I do not mean that as a pun. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> bad word choice. I did not mean that as a just pun. This entire it. outro is just bad word choices. He said, <laughs> "Yes." So I. And and also our, our good friend, Dr. Colburn, who I love bringing up now that I know Paul has some sort of in, in, complex about him. And uh, okay, Dr. Blame, Colburn blame, yeah. says, uh, I, I asked him his opinion as well, and he says that he does use Orlistat a fair amount because it's easy to get over okay. the counter and it's it's fairly cheap compared to the other agents. Well, and if they're seeing And if him, they do use it. If, but if, if they're seeing Colburn, yeah. they're seeing him for some endocrine problem, right? Because he's an endocrinologist. Yeah, why diabetes, that? obesity. Right, 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 right. So there's a myriad of medications that he could use. Uh, so you'll have to ask him. But uh, I mean, he said it's it's. I think because it's cheap, it's okay. readily available over the counter. You don't need a prescription. So yeah, it's. I think it's a reasonable choice. I mean, they can. If someone weighs 200 pounds and you put them on uh, Orlistat, they might lose 10 pounds, and that might start to just seeing some results can help yeah. some people. You just have to coach them through. Like if you're going to eat a plate of wings. You might have some steatorrhea and flatulence, all that stuff. Wonderful. Yeah. What about you, Paul? Have you uh, used any of the weight loss medications? No, I've not really pulled the trigger on any of the ones that I wasn't already kind of comfortable with as mm. it was. Um, so it's and it's primarily the the GLP one agonists yeah. are the ones that I I already have some comfort with already. So those I, are the ones I tend to reach for when I have patients who often have comorbid impaired glucose tolerance and obesity. Like that's. That's the one I sort of lean more heavily on uh, just to try and facilitate some weight loss with it. But I'm still, um, yeah, I still lack the confidence for some of the other agents that you, that you and Matt were discussing. Yeah. What about you? I'll, I'll be honest. I don't use a lot of them only because uh, I, I, I don't really have the ability to, to follow up over a long period of time with, with, uh, with other people's patients. And the, my patient panel is pretty small now, now that I have a lot of other additional duties on top of me. I have used bupropion and naltrexone separately but not the not the uh the 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 name brand contrave so and that's because of trying to get them approved so i've done that three times two or three times i've helped residents get contrave for uh, for their patients i I don't know what the follow-up was for those patients um and i think it's very key and important that you follow up with them fairly regularly to make sure that 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 they're they're obtaining what was a five percent weight loss at uh with 12 weeks right yeah at th- they, at three months essentially yes and it, it depends on the agent it was anywhere right. from three to five percent weight loss right, exactly. where there's an exit ramp like this person's not responding you're exactly. gonna stop it exactly and and I'm, I'm not sure uh if those residents were able to follow up with the patients within that 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 period of time so uh, the other medications that I do routinely use for weight loss that are off-label usage are SGLT2 inhibitors I use, the GLP-1 receptor agonist, but not the high-dose uh, liraglutide. Um, I use as well, I'll even just use uh, Wellbutrin by itself or Bupropion by itself because it is associated with weight loss, but not as significant as with the naltrexone. Um, so I, I, and those are just easier to get and get approved. I don't use Orlistat because of the side effect profile. Uh, I've had patients that I put on Orlistat and they just stop it because of the anal leakage and uh, flatulence. I, and now, granted, they're older older than than um, Doctor Nadalski. Nadalski, sorry, I forgot his name off the top of my head. So maybe that has something something to do with it. And their their peristalsis is is just not as adequate as someone who's younger. Um, having said that, though, uh, you know, I, I honestly the the best results that I get for weight loss is just 
following up with a patient more frequently, making sure that you remove the barriers to even start the whole weight loss journey and making sure that, that they get the appropriate dietary counseling, the appropriate disease management counseling, um, and just uh, being, being enrolled into a class where other individuals are motivated to lose weight. I've had more success with that. Um, now there, I've had some relapse, but that relapse has otherwise, uh, been, Mm, uh, at, at least addressed to some extent with uh, these other off-label medications, but in general, uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I I think most of the of the successes I have is more from a multidisciplinary approach, not necessarily medications. Sure. Well, I think Matt and Dr. Nadolsky talked a little bit um, philosophically at towards the end about how this is a chronic right. disease. The management is sort of ongoing and has to be sort of addressed like you would any other chronic disease. So you you make your intervention, you follow up, you sort of keep after things. So it's not something where you just you know, pull the trigger and sort of walk away. And, and if it doesn't work, then you think, well, I guess that didn't work. Like this is something that requires an investment in time and fairly close monitoring, um, just like just like any of your other chronic disease states. So I think mm. if you approach it from that standpoint, just like you're saying, you're, you're going to be more likely to have success with it. So I, I thought that was actually a really important. Point. I think I heard one of your sons in the background. <laughs> yes, the youngest. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you're going to be able to say that you're just joking about the cats, Paul, because we could, uh, I, I think, I think there are, <laughs> Yeah. I can't speak tonight. It's probably not a good night for me to be recording. <laughs> yeah, that would be Oliver. Sorry about that. Guys. Hi, Oliver. Thank you for contributing to the podcast. I think that's a good place to end. Uh, Oliver gets the last word, and uh, we can go into the outro. Excellent. This has been another episode of The Curbsiders. Indubitably. Bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain home. Mmm, yummy. You can find show notes along with links to any articles, books, websites, or apps. Probably not apps. Mentioned yeah. on the show. I'll mention one next time. <laughs> thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast. You can also sign up to receive our monthly newsletter, which uh, it's a video newsletter. And as we mentioned on the prior show, He's we had some are still, head or something like we're that. Still, we're still workshopping uh, that. So please give us some feedback. But uh, we do summarize the key tools, tips, and tricks for your practice that we learned each month here on the show. It's, it's a short video, usually 10 minutes or so. And you can get that at thecurbsiders.com forward slash knowledge food. We're committed to providing you with high value practice changing knowledge. And to do that, we need your input. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or send an email to thecurbsiders at gmail.com. You can recommend a future topic or tell us what you love or hate about the show. And finally, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter, at The Curbsiders. Until next time, I've been Dr. Matthew Watto, here with my co-hosts. It's Dr. Stuart Kent Brigham, and good night, Curbsitteries. <laughs> and I remain uh, Dr. Paul Williams. Good night. Well, hi, Paul, and good night. <laughs>